0: Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today we interview Dr. Rupan Gill, co-founder and executive director of Vitala Global Foundation. Today, we're talking about something that I think the Femtech industry as a whole does not give enough attention to which is abortion. I've been very open about my opinion and experience with abortion on this show, so this interview meant a lot to me. Vitala Global has a heart for addressing stigmatized sexual and reproductive health topics such as safe, comprehensive abortion care and family planning. They strive to empower women and girls living in settings where they face disproportionate barriers to accessing sex- sexual and reproductive health tools and services. Did you know... One in three women in the world will have an abortion. One in three women in the world, y'all. And yet we don't talk about it. That's insane to me. Also, even more insane and sad is that 20 million abortions a year are done unsafe, which is a leading cause of maternal mortality worldwide. Well, not only is this topic important, but the person we talk to, she's a total badass. So Dr. Rupan Gill, she actually works for the World Health Organization as a medical director, providing technical expertise to its Department of Sexual and Reproductive Health Research. Dr. Gill supports the WHO team on work related to safe abortion care in humanitarian settings, use of technology to support demedicalization of abortion, and support the team on guidelines and development for country work. She's worked with women all over the world, including Nigeria, Uganda, Malawi, like everywhere. It was seriously such an honor to have her on the show and to speak on a topic I am so passionate about. Enjoy. Hey, Rupen, welcome to the show. Hi Brittany. So excited to be here. I am so honored what you just said right before we clicked record. Can you tell people what you listen to when you run?
1: Oh my god. Yes I was just telling Brittany that I fangirl her and Femtech Focus. So uh, between Femtech Focus and Michelle Obama's Yes, (laughs)
0: Focus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just want to take a moment and tell you how good I feel to be in in the playlist with Michelle Obama. That's amazing. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh, yeah. It just motivates me. It's like a ritual. Every week it's like, okay, gotta get my Femtech Focus podcast in yes. and my Michelle Obama podcast. In. Oh my
0: god, it's amazing. <laughs> Brittany
1: Barreto and Michelle Obama. <laughs> oh Michelle,
0: please yeah. reach out to yeah. me. I want to be your friend. Well, that is seriously so kind of you uh, because I honestly am just a lady who likes to say vulva and fight for women's rights. And so here I am just recording. You now know the secret sauce. It's just me on Zoom. So uh, (laughs) listeners, um, I I like you to think that this is professional. It's totally professional. But also, you can grassroots
1: anything, anything, y'all. Totally, yes. totally. Well, um, but there are a lot of things in common between you and Michelle. Oh, <gasps> really? Obama. Yeah. I mean, the things that we talk about, like, she has one episode that's all about women's health. Yeah. And all about how we need to talk more about women's health and menopause and uh, periods yep. and our menstrual cycles. And so, and she's also this badass reproductive health uh, and women's health women all women stuff um activists she would love the show
2: she
0: would love this show then (laughs) yeah
1: i think so (laughs) well
0: um you know our listeners love to learn about our guests and their background so why don't we kick off our interview with you telling us where you're from what did you study you know what's happened and how did you end up here working in women's health
1: yeah awesome so um so basically, I'm an obstetrician-gynecologist, a Canadian, uh, born and raised here. But I am actually of East Indian descent, first generation immigrant. Um, was brought up actually in a really small town in Ontario, in Canada. You could say it's rural, and you know, went to an all-girls school and was grew up in a household that. Basically, we didn't really talk much about sexual and reproductive health. And particularly because of my background as well, being Mm -hmm. an East Indian background, it's very taboo to Mm -hmm. talk about sex and talk about reproductive health. Um, And then even more so to talk about abortion and contraception. Yeah. Um, So, uh, interestingly... I'm trained as an obstetrician gynecologist, but I also, on top of that, I'm sub-specialized in, in family planning. So that involves okay. complex contraception and abortion care. And I think my parents, you know, it's very interesting because they probably, I mean, we don't really sit around the dinner table really talking about <laughs> what I do to day. Uh, even for Vitala, like I showed them the website and they're like, wow, this is great. But like I
0: think (laughs) They're like let's not talk anymore about it though. (laughs) Like that's enough.
1: (laughs) Exactly. They're like we're very proud of you. (laughs) Yeah. And then you know we talked about something else. Um so so interestingly, yes, I I did my training in obstetrics and gynecology in Canada and then pursued a two-year subspecialty in family planning. And I do want to give a shout-out to this family planning fellowship because I was the first Canadian fellow to go through it, but it's actually an American-based fellowship. Hmm. So a lot of my co-fellows – and now it's become an accredited fellowship in the U.S. And some of my dearest friends are abortion providers and and family planning providers in the U.S. fighting the good fight. So I just had to give them a shout-out. Yes,
0: shout-out to y'all. I actually am – very vocal, especially recently, because I've been in the femtech industry long enough now that I'm actually pretty pissed off that I haven't seen any panels on abortion. And I'm like, okay, y'all, like, we're all edgy and stuff and talk about sexual wellness and vulvas. And we're all like, we don't care if you don't like it. Women's health matters. And I'm like, well, where's the abortion panel? Because that <laughs> is innovating. Let me tell you. All right. So anyways, yes, I hope we can talk more about that. But it's something oh. I'm very passionate about.
1: Oh my God. And I love that you just said that now I'm like fangirl crushing on you even more. <laughs> um, <laughs> like honestly, even, uh, yeah, I was like, there is such a need to talk. And that's, I'm yes. so excited to be here today to talk about this. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up in Ontario. I did my training all, all around Canada. I did my master's of public health and global health and population at Harvard. Um, you know, I grew up in a household that was very female strong, like my mom, you know, my parents are in business. And I think that we grew up with that whole like business mind mentality that now has led me into this like sort of startup not for profit, uh, like leading my own thing, Mm -hmm. which has been really, really interesting. I've also uh, so did all the training, but my um, trajectory or how I would say I would describe myself is that I'm, you know, an innovator, a clinician and a researcher. And so I've spent a lot. My, my spirit is a bit free because I do love working and traveling around um, in many places. So I've done a lot of things in in global context, very focused on sexual and reproductive health and rights in places like Uganda, Malawi, mm. Lesotho, Tanzania. Um, and most recently, after I finished my fellowship training in the last couple of years, I spent time with Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, as an emergency field obstetrician in Nigeria. And then most recently, I actually was in Yemen since uh January 2020 and just got back in June was stuck there because of COVID wow wow yeah so that's a whole thing we can yeah. talk about uh, as well <laughs> and it's another hat I wear so I have my Vitala hat but my my MSF uh, hat is uh, is a big one too because now I've most recently taken a position with msf msf france their france section to be their women's health advisor for obgym wow dude
0: you're you're a big deal i knew you're a big <laughs> deal coming into this episode but yeah um i
1: know nah, no, but it's all like it's all interconnected yeah. I, I hope like as i share my stories that it makes sense because sometimes i'm like you know i wear these multiple hats but they are all interconnected mm-hmm. because even by and i feel like they're interconnected in what we're doing with vitala with the abortion piece and the the global health and the, um, challenging contexts. Um, and then the other piece, I guess, about my story is, uh, that after I, so when I went to did my first mission with MSF, I moved to Geneva and I was in, I was working with the, the WHO as medical officer with them for a year. Wow. Um, and that wow. was with their, their department of sexual and reproductive health research, preventing unsafe abortion to uh, team. And, uh, yeah. And then while I was there, I didn't, uh, I decided that I needed to be back in the field. I wanted to be with the, you know, that's why I went to Yemen. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do my own thing too. Like I was like, you know, I need to get on my own two feet and I wanted to start my own thing, which I hope we'll get, I'll get into that a little bit more of how Vitalis Seed started to percolate. But, um, do you think that who the world health organization is kind of like a
0: theoretical, it's like policy, theoretical thinking about it type of thing, less in the trenches.
1: So yes and no, because it's so interesting. Like I feel from a, from headquarters standpoint, yes, because you are, you know, in Geneva, that's where I was in the headquarters in Geneva. So it is like more the policy and developing the norms and standards, developing the guidelines, Mm -hmm. uh, bringing the evidence together. But then when you go to the country offices, that's where you feel like there is a little bit more of the, uh, Sort of nitty gritty in the trenches, yeah. but again, it's not like MSF. MSF is like that. You're, out you're there. in the trenches. Yeah, no <laughs> yeah. borders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, no borders. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Wow. Yeah. So when did so, you start mm-hmm. uh, Vitala? What's that story like?
1: Yeah. So um, Vitala stories—it's interesting because it's been a an evolution, um, and it's an, it's organically growing. Now we basically. The organization Vitala itself was incorporated just in May of, of 2020, mm-hmm. but it's inception and this, uh, the whole story started in 2016. Yeah. So when I, was, uh, when I was doing my fellowship in Vancouver, that's where I did my fellowship in family planning, um, as part of that uh, two years of training, you get X amount of money. You actually, their whole premise is to train you to be an academic family planning practitioner, And so you get funding to run your own massive like research study. Mm -hmm. And I was like super curious at that time. And I think in the last decade, I've always been very curious in my research and the way I do the research is to really understand what is it that women and girls need, particularly when they need to access sexual reproductive health services, but more so, especially on areas that are stigmatized, like abortion, Mm -hmm. uh, family planning. Um, so essentially at the time when I was a fellow, um, I was like, okay, you know, I've done research already in this space of like, you know, using qualitative methods, really trying to understand, uh, women and girls in their context and not only collecting the data, but then thinking of how can we use that data to develop an intervention, And for me, that intervention that I'm quite interested in is in the digital space. Hmm. And that has come from, and the reason why I've been really interested in the digital space is because of all the global health experience I've had, because you go to all these places and in the most rural and remote areas, you have someone with a cell phone and they have swanky smartphones like Yemen They're (laughs) in an active war zone. And they would have, you know, these like nice cell phones and smartphones and have Facebook and have WhatsApp. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was, so I did this fellowship project and the idea was that I wanted to truly understand how Canadian women, so this was in the Canadian context, did, how did they, how did they feel after they've had an abortion? Did they feel supported? And if we were to de- design a digital tool with them, would that be something that would be feasible? um so fast forward we we conducted this rigorous research study it was you know three-phase design user-centric very data-driven used a lot of design thinking principles and uh designed my Post Care, which is the tool for canadian women to support them after they've had an abortion lots of people were like hey this is this is so great like you could do more with this you could even sell this you could create your own company with this mm-hmm. i was like okay, because <laughs> it's like meant to be a research project. Yeah, And then I kind of put it on the shelf, but we were still working on it percolating because then I went to WHO and I started mm-hmm. doing a bunch of other work. And also to be honest, and this is one of the challenges I've been facing is like around funding. I had funding for that as my research project, but then we didn't have, like I only had it to a certain point and then I didn't have it. So, you know, we we're kind of working on it, working on this at the side of our desk afterwards. Um, then when I was at WHO, I was starting, you know, I was like starting to think, okay, like I really there, and more signs were coming up, you know, people, uh, data was coming out to say that there's this massive gap in terms of abortion care to support women. A lot of data was starting to come out, um, and already was out before I even, um, got to WHO on this whole self-management and self-care movement, which Mm -hmm. is that, uh, abortion is so safe and so effective if women are, and girls are given, and I'm using women and girls, but we are, we do say pregnant persons and being very gender inclusive, but that they, uh, if they're given the right information, they can actually self-manage their own abortions on their own. They don't need a specialized healthcare provider. They don't need to be in a hospital setting. It can be done in a community base. They could, it can be done in their homes. I've done it. In Whoa. A manner. Yeah. And totally safe, totally effective, even WHO recommends it. So then I started to think to myself, I'm like, wow, okay, I was already doing the self-care stuff. Like my yeah. post-care was all self-care. It's all about empowering women after they've had an abortion to engage in their own self-care. Um, and so what was great is that Grand Challenges Canada comes along in, in the winter of 2019 and says, hey, we are doing a call-out. And they had basically, they they were, you know, giving out grants. Focused on abortion in low and middle income countries. Wow. Yeah. And I said, Oh my God, uh, this is, this is my, my chance. Like I ha- should apply for this grant and use it as a seed, a seed opportunity, like seed money yep. to, to go for it and create this, uh, this organization. But it was interesting because it was just me at the time. Mm. Vitala was just me. And at the time we weren't Vitala, we were RKG global consulting, and I basically applied for the grant. I incorporated myself. The, the incorporation came in like literally a day before the grant was <laughs> going in, and then, and then that was it. And I got the grant. Um, sorry, so I applied for it, and then months go by, and there was over 300 applicants, and only 19 innovators were given this award for this first round. And so I was one of those. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then Vitala, basically from there, it fast It just accelerated because Grand Challenges Canada was so supportive. They said, "Listen, like, initially they were like, you didn't pass the due diligence because you're just one person and you don't even have any policies." So I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my god, okay." I was, like, uh, I was like, "This, like, I have to hustle." So I created my human resources policies. I got a board of directors together. I did like my finance yeah. policy, my fundraising policy, put it all together, and then. My best friend, who's now like one of my really good friends, Jen Tam, who's also my co-founder now, starts to like, we start talking. So she starts to help me and becomes my project manager. And then it just organically just propelled and, and evolved in a, in a way that we um, became more official. And we realized, mm-hmm. OK, and sorry, I should say the grant that we applied for with Grand Challenges Canada was to design and develop a digital tool to facilitate self-managed abortions for women and girls in Venezuela. Oh. And this, yeah, um, and so that actually allowed us to put our passion and our expertise in the safe abortion space and the humanitarian setting together, as well as the research and um, clinical piece all together and work with amazing, amazing partners like the grassroots organizations that we're working with in Venezuela. And so we essentially are um, now basically like a design thinking organization that is multidisciplinary that co-designed these digital solutions to support uh, individuals in these challenging contexts to self-manage their own abortions and family planning needs. I am
0: seriously so honored you're on the show (laughs) and um, wow, this is really, really important work. I have a lot of questions. So, um, and I always imagine if I have a lot of questions, I bet my listeners do too. So (laughs) my first question is what is a self, managed abortion so when I think abortion I I had an abortion so I always think of what I had right and so maybe people have paradigms of their experiences too so can you talk to us about the different types and what is self-managed
1: yeah 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 for sure um thank you for sharing that Brittany most women have had them and I am am here here to tell you on
0: this international podcast you know like I made a
1: choice and I love that. It. And also I was going to say that I was going to say that, honestly, like it's, it's so fascinating because some people don't realize it. But when, when I share stats and I say, listen, people, one in three women have a, have an abortion in their lifetime. Yeah. One in four women have a, have a miscarriage. These things like we need to talk about them. We yeah. need to kind of uh, uh, bring it up. Um, and that's why Vitala was started. Right. And then and it's, it's ridiculous because to me, I think, and for us now as an organization, we're like, It is such a preventable um, uh, condition, not condition, sorry, it's so preventable in in the terms that we have this amazing technology that that people can use, Mm -hmm. yet it's one of the leading causes of maternal mortality in the world. Yes, yeah. And it probably,
0: Um, I mean, I'm not, I don't, you're the expert, but I'm assuming it probably has something to do with us not talking about it. The fact that it is shocking, you know. If I if I talk about my period on this, people are a little uncomfortable. But if I talk about I had an abortion at twenty two, people are like, oh,
1: "She yeah. said that," and it's like, "Yeah, one in three women, you know, one in three women, yeah." And and you know, twenty two thousand women die per year wow. from an unsafe abortion. Wow. So we are very lucky that we we, we got to talk about
0: it. We got to talk uh, about it.
1: Yeah, we got to talk about it. Totally but sorry so just to come back to your question about self-managed abortion so what self-managed abortion looks like is that um first of all i should be very clear that it's about self-managed medical medication abortion so it's with the pills and it can be with and the pill is there's two pills there's mifepristone and mesoprostol and then in some settings where you don't have mifepristone you can actually the alternative is with mesoprostol alone um, the effectiveness of doing it on your, like taking the pill, it's like almost hundred percent. If you do the combination with Mifepristone and misoprostol, and essentially when we talk about self-management, it's that we are saying that an individual who's seeking abortion can actually self-assess for her own eligibility, meaning that she can assess that she, her gestation, like she's, uh, the weeks pregnant that she is,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is eligible for medication abortion along with assessing um, that she doesn't have any reason to not be able to take the pills and that, that she can then self administer the pills on her own. And mm-hmm. just does not need to be done in front of a doctor. It does not need to be done in, in a specialized healthcare mm-hmm. facility. She can do it in the comfort of her home with the support person of her choice. Mm-hmm. And then Finally, it would be that the that she can actually assess for the success of the completion uh, success of the of the abortion on her own as well. Yeah. But throughout this underlying the whole thing is that she that that individual needs to have the correct information. Yeah. That information can be provided by abortion hotlines. It can be provided by a community uh, health worker. It yeah. can be provided by um, a midwife or a nurse in many of these sort of low razor settings, but the the individual herself doesn't need to be in a, um, in a uh, hospitalized situation. So she can actually go through the entire process. Yeah.
0: So the pill, how, how long, how pregnant can you be and still take it? Like, is there a, a line where you can't take the pill
1: anymore? What a great question, Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> this is like something we, uh, in this, in the abortion community, we discussed. So no, um, you know, I, like people are doing uh, with mifepristone and misoprostol, you can do it at any gestational age. However, what I will say is that, and, and just to be very, very clear, is that the, it's all about sort of the evidence that we have in terms of, you um, how effective and safe it is. So as someone is more pregnant, it does lead to a little bit higher um, complications. Yeah. In that it may not uh, be as successful. Yeah. Whereas if, if, and so the evidence and when we actually recommend it, and then also when it's recommended as per the WHO, it's up to up to 10 weeks because that's what the evidence tells us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now in the abortion community, we are like, there are more people and amazing researchers that are doing the work and actually, because there should want like we need the data to say doing it in the second trimester is okay. Like yeah. it's also safe and effective. And some people want that; they still want to be able to do it in the comfort of their own homes.
0: Yeah. Because the alternative to the pill, so let's say second trimester, current data is out. We don't know yet, right? So we're thinking this individual pregnant person needs to go in somewhere. So what it what is that abortion called? That kind.
1: Right. So if you say because there's so many reasons why a woman also needs an abortion, because it might be that the mm-hmm. baby has some anomalies or there's um, or it's for, for choice, like the choice that she needs, she wants the, the abortion. If it's um, after the first trimester, so like sort of after 12 weeks, again, you can do it with Mifepristone and misoprostol, but we also can do it by manual vacuum aspiration. So it's basically a suction device that, uh, that is used or the more advanced the procedure gets then we, we do dilatation and evacuation mm. so is actually a surgical procedure. And those cases when it is required that you do a dilatation or evacuation and the, and that's what a woman individual chooses, um, that then requires you to be in sort of a procedure room as well. Yeah. But again, it doesn't require you to have all the, the, you know um, you know, general anesthetic and all that kind of stuff. It can actually be done with conscious sedation. And again, in a very sort of, um, minimally invasive way.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Got it. Yeah. Um,
0: so you said one in three, let's talk some statistics here. So sure. One in three women, is that a U.S. number have had an abortion
1: or is that, that a worldwide? Is, that's that's worldwide. <gasps>
0: worldwide. Wow. All right. So one in three women, do, do you know the total number that is or like how many is that a day or however you know like know oh, that's
1: actually such a great question i should i actually don't know but it would be like per day i would have to look into it but yeah i mean i can say from my own personal experience when i was training to be and i even as a provider mm-hmm. both in the canadian context and then also in these uh humanitarian settings so for example i when i was doing my training we would have us uh, uh well, in the abortion clinic, you have about ten to twelve people coming every day yep. for an abortion. But that is based on us being able to accommodate for them, right? So there's a lot more people who need it. Mm-hmm. And I will share, and I will say, with COVID-19, um, there, you know, there was actually a really nice um, modeling study that Guttmacher came out with saying that if we have a 10%, even a ten percent decrease in um, abortion-related care because of if or we don't do it because Mm -hmm. of COVID-19, um, it could lead to 3 million more, um, abortions that are, are needed.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. So it's it's a a necessary
0: procedure. It's happening a lot. This is not, you know, this is, um, why Venezuela? What is it about that country that needs support in this way? Yeah,
1: such a, such such. Awesome. I just love your questions
0: so much. Okay. <laughs> They're genuine, uh, listeners. We have a set of questions. I have not asked most of them. <laughs> These
1: are genuine yeah, yeah. questions. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, so, I mean, there's two pieces to this. So, the one piece was um, why Venezuela. First of all, it was all it was a, more of a personal because personal thing in the sense that when I was at the WHO and I was applying for the Grand Challenges grant and I I wanted to go. And, and go on it on my own and actually do something that's uh, in a humanitarian setting related to abortion. Um, I was so lucky because I was connected to friends and colleagues that came to me and they were like, hey, you know, we know you did this work in, in Canada, how about we partner together? And um, particularly like I had a, a dear friend and colleague from IPAS, which is a great organization that does abortion related work. And she came to me and then connected me to International Planned Parenthood Federation, uh, Western Hemisphere region. And so then I then got connected to the the, the SRHR, organi- or Sexual Reproductive Health Organization in Venezuela, um, who then said, yeah, we want to work with you. We really love your idea. And we also thought, okay, why Venezuela? Well, first of all, there wasn't very much data coming out of there. And, and honestly, it's Sometimes I'm like moved to tears when I am analyzing our data and and looking at our user interviews and the survey that we, and I'll share a little bit about that as well, but there's not that much data that's on sexual reproductive health and particularly abortion. Um, It's one of the highly restrictive settings, meaning that the abortion is illegal, but only to save the woman's life. Mm. Um, there's a complex humanitarian emergency that's occurring there that is leading many women to seek unsafe abortions, yes. which we found also is, you know, in our data, still, uh, so 30% of our respondents are had an abortion or in Venezuela. And then of those still 20% used some sort of an unsafe method, yes. despite the fact that there is mesoprostol available in Venezuela. Um, and then the other piece of it was that the, cell phone. So we know like in Latin America from our data, when we were doing sort of a background landscape analysis that there is a high, um, people, actually a lot of people use a smartphone and Uh a lot of people use WhatsApp and Facebook. So we had to think, okay, if we're going to design a digital tool, we should do it in a place that we also know that it will be feasible just from a digital
0: health standpoint.
1: Mm Um,
0: why, (laughs) <laughs> sometimes I ask questions cause I'm genuinely have no idea what the answer is. And sometimes I ask questions cause I'm like, this needs to be on record. This is one of them. Yeah. Um, why do women need or want abortions? Like why would a woman in Venezuela
1: do this? Right. Yeah, no, such, such a great question. Um, there are so many reasons, right. And just actually yesterday I was having this conversation with another friend of mine who's a provider and, um, because we always have this dilemma too. Like do as providers, does it really matter why someone comes to have an abortion? Like,
0: yeah. As um, as I was asking it, I was like, the answer should be like, who gives a fuck? It's a woman's
1: body, but nevertheless. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but I think it's really, but it's also good to like shed light that there's such diverse reasons Mm -hmm. that it's not, um, yeah, like there's, there could be so many reasons. So for example, in the Venezuelan setting, we have, um, you have all of sort of these young people. For example, there's a very high, high rate of unplanned uh, pregnancies or adolescent pregnancies mm. in Venezuela. And then on top of that, when you put layer on the um, economic crisis, like they don't have, it since between 2012 and 2017, their um, number of contraceptives decreased by 92%. What? In the country because of the, the you know, economic crisis what? and all these things. Oh, my on, God. Exactly. So then, so one reason is, is that they don't have access to contraception. And so they get pregnant and then they need to have an abortion. You could have another circumstance where they've already had a pregnancy before, and they don't want to have a a second pregnancy. They're in school and they're like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be pregnant right now. um, And I I want to, I want to continue with my schooling. You could have some people that come because they have a, a, a pregnancy that's unhealthy. You know, there's a fetal anomaly or something like this. Um, and what I mean by fetal anomaly, just for the listeners is like, you know, um, things that basically that would be wrong with the, with the baby. Um, and then there's just like a whole host of other reasons that, um, yeah, like, it's like, it's irrelevant in a lot of ways, Um, but a lot of it is around their social economic. It could be their cultural, cultural circumstances, like in my own community, I know, like, because talking about sex and reproductive health is so taboo. It's like you, it's like you, we can't even say or talk about the fact that in our community, people are having sex before marriage. Yeah. So sometimes like a woman will get pregnant and she's young and, and she needs to have the abortion and, and she, her family can't find out about it. Right. So there's yeah. so many, so many reasons. That's right. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of data and there's a lot of my, like the people in my community, like the abortion community that I have so much respect for that are researchers in this space have really looked at that and really looked, and especially in the U S why women make the decisions that they do. So, yeah. Well, you know, you just said there are so
0: many reasons. It's very diverse. But what I did not hear you say is that it's a convenient and great way to have birth control. And I'm so happy you didn't say that because, um, you know, over the past few years, I've gotten, you know, more and more vocal about my experience, have having had an abortion at at 22. And for me, it was I was in college, you know, and it just wasn't part of the plan. And I was with somebody who wasn't sure it was like my first real boyfriend in college. And it just, you know, that was my route. But when I had the experience, and I had the aspiration one um, type of abortion, and, you know, afterwards, it was freaking hard in terms of like it was not a pleasant experience there was no support afterwards and so so what I'm getting at here is that now when I'm more open about it the biggest thing I hear from people who are anti-abortion essentially anti-choice the biggest thing I hear is that they say well I just don't like that people use it as a form of birth control and I want to I want to very firmly hold this person's shoulders and look them into the eyes and say, nobody is doing this on a Friday night casually every week because it's just so convenient. I promise you, if you went to a clinic, if you had this experience, if you had a friend that you helped out, you would know people are not just casually, quote unquote, murdering babies because it's just more convenient than a condom. Like I promise you, no one is doing that. Can you confirm this with me?
1: Yeah. 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 You know, it's very interesting <laughs> because, uh, it is, it is, it is not a decision that people take lightly. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And, um, and this has been definitely a debate back and forth in mm-hmm. our community about, you know, is it a, is it a form of family planning? Um, because some people actually, and we, I know I've listened to other of your episodes because we also need to innovate so much more in the family planning and contraception world because, mm-hmm. I think we're still limited and that there's not enough options for women in that sense. So Mm -hmm. some may not use birth control or they use fertility awareness based methods and then get pregnant and will have multiple abortions. My opinion on that is that that is fine. It's up to her. It's, we don't know like every individual's um, decision of why she wants to do what she needs to do is her decision. But I will say that, um, it's definitely not a decision that's light. And I also think that, um, because I work in two different contexts and I see the implications of uh, the stigma around abortion in places like uh, Venezuela and places in many places in Africa, I've worked in places like Yemen, um, you know, no woman should die from an unsafe abortion in yes. this day and age. Um, and that, and then when, when people do say, Oh, well, it, it could be like a birth control. Like, for example, in, in, in Venezuela, um, because of the restrictive law and actually we have good data to support that though in places where you have more restrictive laws, it actually doesn't mean that people have less abortions (laughs) because there's that assumption. If we have a restrictive law, then people will have less abortions. It's not that they have less abortions. They still have them, but they are are put in a situation where they have to do them unsafely or in a clandestine manner. Yeah. Um, What
0: are, sorry.
1: um, Go Go ahead.
0: What are some of the forms of unsafe abortion? Right. I hear this like horrible thing about hangers. Like, is that real? Cause sometimes I talk about things that I'm like, Oh, this is a paradigm. And then the person tells me that's not real. So hangers and like, what are other ways that women are doing this?
1: You know, no, it's so it's like, yeah, like it's, it is still, people are in, in a lot of these settings. Like, I mean, if I, I have, uh, I have stories you know when I think about my experiences when I was in northern Nigeria when you have patients coming in with septic abortions you know that they put some sort of uh, instrument up the into the cervix and into the uterus or because they're so desperate to end the pregnancy yeah. um, you know uh, other things like in, in Venezuela for example it could be teas and herbs and mm. malt, cinnamon um, just all of these sort of traditional types of uh, yes. methods um coat hanger definitely we heard it in some of our user interviews that that's that has happened so it still still occurs in this day and age um so yeah and I think another piece of the situation around abortion in many sort of low and middle income countries is also the role women have and that they don't have the same sort of um, they're not as empowered or have the same autonomy to make their reproductive choices. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, they don't have, it's just an even negotiating condom use or negotiating contraceptives. So they are actually in those settings in a lot of settings I worked in women are having like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pregnancies. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's challenging. So yeah. And so I mean, this is I, like, I love that we're having this conversation in this way because basically what you're, Highlighting is why we why Vitella exists. Mm-hmm. There's no one. There's a. There's no one like us that's doing this type of work because we've chosen difficult places and a difficult topic. Yeah. But we're trying to do it in a space uh, that is merging the activism and the academia and the the corporate, not corporate, but like you know the femtech space. Like yes. we're trying to, to bridge all of that together and say and say we can do, we can do this in this space so that we can like actually normalize the conversation yeah. and that not be just for the activists to talk about. Yeah. So what are some ways for women to have
0: self-care around this family planning option? What are strategic ways? Cause I didn't experience any, right. And there's no other resources out there. So what are some ways that you're helping women?
1: Yeah, no, it's such a, yeah. So I loved what you said about, because it just reinforced, again, um, a lot of what we've been hearing from people around, not only in Canada, but everywhere. And I've had so many people now that they know that I do this work, like, I'll have a coffee with someone, and they just, like, tell me their story, Mm. and I'm like, wow, it is so important that we are actually um, doing this, that we're doing this work with Vitala, which is essentially developing tools to support them through their journey. Mm -hmm. And everybody like we hear from says that like women need to be reassured in the moment of an abortion. They want to be able to talk to someone who's informed. They want to be able to ask questions and hear advice. They want to, um, uh, basically not feel isolated and feel guilt. And Mm -hmm. that came up a lot for us when we developed my post care and now what we're developing for Venezuela. So, in terms of what types of ways that we can facilitate self-management or self-care, Vitala is doing it in the way that we're co-designing this digital tool. So in Venezuela, we're actually developing a mobile app that we hope will also integrate a WhatsApp chat, uh, chatbot, AI-type platform mm-hmm. that acts like a coach. And that coach will mm-hmm. take you through the entire process from assessing yourself, if you are eligible, to assessing completion of the, the abort- su- successful completion and then through that, we also pr- um, provide these notifications that um, essentially say like, hey, we're here for you. And we're, you know, this is what you can do if you're having a lot of pain. And this is what you can do if you have dismounted, or bleeding and kind of educating as well as we're providing the support. And then my postcare does the same. So my postcare is a digital web-based platform that we design that includes like an emotional support tool, contraception tool. It includes a sexual health piece to it, um, post-procedure signs and symptoms and automatic email notifications that individuals receive, which also is about supporting them through the journey. And it's mm-hmm. about if they are timed one month after their procedure so that they, and actually our data from those studies are published in, uh, two, two parts of the study have already been published. And a lot of people said it kept them out of the emergency department when they used my post care it, uh, they did it with their partners. They went through the entire website. They couldn't believe that, that a digital tool uh was like a rock for them after they had an abortion yes um and then so we're you know vitale is doing this work and we're trying to uh innovate in the space of creating support tools Mm -hmm. but i will also say like there are other organizations that i have immense respect for that are doing this work as well and we're just another tool in this toolkit so we have um women on web so they do a lot in terms of, of. providing abortion advice online and that then they and they're more of a service provider in the sense that they will send the pills directly by mail. Mm -hmm. there's places in the you know access aid in in the u.s does this we have um uh there's a program in the u.s called care i don't want to i don't want I'm, i'm pretty certain it's care and they do um abortion pill delivery uh there's telehealth methods mm-hmm. a lot of telehealth that's happening now in the u.s especially after covid so all these restrictions that were there before are now yeah. being removed telehealth in the uk telehealth in in, uh, in australia and then uh women health and women is another organization as well that is doing uh doing this work as well so there's a lot of online virtual health stuff happening mm-hmm. um to really help and support and facilitate so that women can access care no
0: matter where they are. Yeah. Well, you know, I, with my experience, I felt like I I had the access to get it done, but I didn't have the support beforehand or afterwards, right? The emotional support, because I didn't want to talk to about it. I like told my mom and my partner at the time, you know, and that was essentially it. And I didn't even know what are the things I should be considering, you know, beforehand. And then I actually had um, this paradigm that when you have an abortion, you regret it for the rest of your life, because that's what I always saw in movies and shows. So I was like, am I ready to carry this burden for the rest of my life that I'm going to be sad about this like unborn child? And then, you know, afterwards, I felt guilt because I've never I really started I never manifested that shame. And where I've come to is like, I looked at all the data, right? I'm a scientist, even back then, I looked at all the data. And I said, this is the best choice for my life. And you know what? That's just my experience that I haven't carried around a bunch of guilt and shame and I shouldn't have guilt and shame about not feeling guilty and shamed, you know? Um, totally. Totally.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and the more that I hear about it, that's what actually gets me up in the morning. Cause I'm like, we are doing something that other people have not done. Yeah. And there's, there is a space here that, and it's very interesting because I think people don't, haven't done it because it, it doesn't because i sometimes reflect on this and it's like oh maybe it's not as sexy you know because it's like uh emotional support after abortion but honestly i, I think it's sexy so yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. you know because you hear when you hear the stories and you see the implications mm. of um of the lack of support and i also think by proxy if we work in this space that and we start talking about it it will also we ultimately want to do this our vision is that, that we, we take it out of this space of stigma. Yeah, You know, that it becomes normalized. Yes. That it's like, abortion is just like other things that women have to, like, that they need, that yep. they go through, right, um, in their lifetime.
0: Yep, yeah. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for the work you do. I um, can obviously talk to you for a long
1: time.
0: Um, and thank you for, you know, just having this really authentic conversation with me. I know our listeners always appreciate it. When it's just real talk, right? Um, Totally. Our last two questions real quick, as you know, as a listener yourself, the first one is, um, we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, if they wanted to innovate something in women's health and wellness, what is an area you think still needs working on?
1: So Well, it's, uh, yeah, I think more investment and commitment towards these types of stigmatized issues. Mm-hmm. So particularly comprehensive abortion care, um, and also because we didn't really get into it because this is another area that we're working on is the early pregnancy loss side. So the miscarriage management, miscarriage is also another big piece and it's mm-hmm. in that umbrella, um, because many people are isolated and just expected, like deal with it, that it's, it's something that happens. Yes. Um, I also think we need, uh, yeah, just work on normalizing conversation around these topics. And I think if fem, if in the femtech industry, we could do that and we could get more people innovating in this space um, and not having silos that it's just like abortion happens amongst these grassroots activists only yes. or only, or it happens with the academics. It, I would love like vitala because our, you know, our goal, our vision is we, that we become that organization of people see that we're bridging that. You know, we are that sort of organization that bridges the activism and the academia together. That's right. I love it. Thank Mm -hmm.
0: you so much for your time today. I am so impressed. And uh, if if Femtech Focus can help you in your efforts any way, we would love to.
1: Thank you so much, Brittany. It is such a pleasure to meet you and and have this amazing conversation.
2: Deciding what we think. You know what's what's included in femtech because I think it's important, right? Definitions matter, and sometimes getting people behind something takes everyone being unified behind the words they use to describe it. Um, And and then I think the other is the same thing. You know, you need in any sector is we need to we need to really celebrate our successes. Yes, right. Celebrate our successes. We need to make sure people are aware of the successes because. Investment, you know, people invest uh, in areas where one, they can understand the opportunity that they're investing in and they can, usually they're investing in places where they can point to like, oh, well, this is a good place to put my money because Mm -hmm. XYZ did really well here and therefore I want to be part of this too. And that only happens if you, you know, we got to scream it on the mountaintops. Like anytime there's a success, we got to be vocal about it. We got to make sure you know, we get that information out there. And right now they're, they're, this is a great forum. Obviously for that, we need more forums for people to be able to talk about it. And then for someone who's doing research to be able to aggregate the information and say,
1: you know, I can point to
2: the, you know, wonderful successes and this is why investors should be putting their money here. That's right. Yeah.
0: I love it. I think, you know, we're creating a list and like we're going to publish it somewhere and it's going to be living and breathing and it's going to grow. But I wonder if there's also like this opportunity for doing a little bit of history research where we look at who were those investors of these exited companies, you know, and then approaching them and saying, can you write a blog? Can you please tweet this every month for 12 months? Can you please tweet that you made money off of this femtech company, you know, because then that will echo it further than our femtech focused website, which... I'm proud of our, of our reach, but like, if we could trip, you know, go back, that would be really powerful.
2: It would be. And I think too, sometimes we, we forget to do this, but looking at other um, like therapeutic categories or other healthcare areas where maybe there wasn't as much appreciation for the opportunity and look what happened once there was more awareness. Mm. And, And we talked about erectile dysfunction, but even outside of kind of sexual health, think about, Depression. Um, you know, it was something that was stigmatized. People didn't talk about it. I don't think anyone would have thought that was a great area to invest money in developing drugs. And Prozac comes to market and completely changed the landscape. Wow. It destigmatized the disorder. It kind of raised awareness for wow, this is an important therapeutic area. And it also created a whole industry around pharmaceutical companies developing drugs that acted on the brain to deal with this condition. So Hmm. I think sometimes too, we got to point to some of these other areas where there are a lot of examples where people didn't appreciate the number of patients that there were, or that people would take a drug for something or that people would use an app for something, Hmm. but then it becomes available and look what happened. So I think also maybe pointing out some of these examples can be helpful to people that may not be thinking of it in that context.
0: Hmm. You know what I think we need? We need a Netflix documentary. Because everyone's home right now and they're watching on the Netflix. If everyone in the yes. world can watch Tiger King, we can make a femtech documentary yes. and change the hearts and minds of everyone regarding women's health and wellness. That's what we need. Netflix, call I, me. Yeah,
1: call, call now, call now. <laughs>
0: Man, that is what we need. I'm gonna put my marketing team on it. They're gonna be like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> I also told them I want right. a book. Awesome. So we're gonna do all the things. Oh man, Sabrina, right, yeah. this has been seriously so fun. You're amazing. You're changing women's lives. You're saving women's lives. Thank and you. um, you know, you you are a success in FemTech and we're gonna we're gonna shout it. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank
2: you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. What a great forum and I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Rupan Gill, co founder and executive director of Vitala Global Foundation. Fem fans, as I was preparing for this interview, my excitement grew and grew, knowing we had a World Health Organization medical officer coming on our show to share her innovative solution for restoring balance for women's health equality. Obviously, that's what we're here for. Femtech is here, Femtech exists. Because we are fighting and championing women's health equality. If you think that what we're working on is important, then please consider donating. We are a nonprofit and there is a donate tab on our website. If you want to continue to hear our episodes and you want to continue to fight for women's health equality, then please consider donating. All right, if you also, by the way, if you want to meet me in a chat version at least, on Tuesday nights, we have a podcast listening party every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We listen to a podcast, and myself and my co-founder, Dr. Julie Hakim, are on live chatting with you. We've done it a few times, and it's so fun, so we're deciding to do it every Tuesday now. You can register for the event. It's free. Uh, It's through our website. Register there, femtechfocus.org do me a favor share this show with a friend tell the people in your life that you know abortion shouldn't be that taboo there are many many millions of women getting them every year and many are dying because it is unaccessible to them to have a safe one this is something near and dear to my heart I think it's super super important leave a review on our show Subscribe to our newsletter and join our virtual community. We already have almost like 400 members. Join our virtual community and chat with other Femtech champions. You can join that through our website as well, femtechfocus.org. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.